The why behind the what. So how many people know in Christian circles there's various rules you're supposed to follow, various things you're supposed to do. And what we want to find out is why is that? You know, I enjoy the question why. When I first became a Christian, I found myself getting in lots of trouble with Christian people because I would ask why in situations where they thought that was a terrible question to ask. They thought that would indicate a lack of faith or a rebellious spirit or something along those lines. And I just didn't know. Can't can't we talk about it? You know, but sometimes you can't. But here at Good Hope, we want to have the freedom to be able to talk about all kinds of different things, to have questions, to have a faith crisis, and to be able to ask those questions. Where's God in my trouble? We need to be able to ask those types of questions. And this series, the why behind the what, we're going to be talking about a variety of different spiritual disciplines and try to get an understanding of why God would have us do those spiritual disciplines, why he would command those things to happen in the first place. So my first question to you is this, who in here is seeking abundant life in Christ? That should be a universal, yes, I am seeking abundant life in Christ. That's what we want. We want abundant life in Christ. That means that we want to be who God has made us to be. We want to do the things that God has called us to do. And we want to have the things that God would have us to have, to have everything that God has planned for us. That's abundant life in Christ. We want to have that. Now, the reality is, is abundant life in Christ is on the narrow road. It's not on the wide road. Last week, we read Matthew 7, 13, and 14. We're going to reread that this week. Matthew 7, 13, and 14 is from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Matthew chapter uh, 5, 6, and 7 is all this important sermon that Jesus preached uh, up on the side of a mountain, and everybody else listened. That's why it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And this is a little piece of what he said in that sermon. Jesus said to the masses, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And I see two major interpretations of this wide road, narrow road. Of course, the obvious interpretation is we want to go to heaven. We want to have salvation. We want to have everlasting life. And If we interpret this through those lenses, then most people miss everlasting life, but some people get that. And I believe there's a second interpretation of this, which is that there is abundant life in Christ. So we are to live abundant life now and have everlasting life later. Now, this world has its trouble and its struggles and its difficulties. And some people are, are, in, uh, are called to be martyrs. And there's very difficult scenarios going on in this world. There's tragedies and hardships. But at the same time, we're called to have joy and to have peace and to be able to walk into the abundance of God. And so we want to grab hold of abundant life. And I believe that the number of people that receive salvation, everlasting life, is greater than the number of people who are able to apprehend and grab hold of abundant life now in this world. Now, hallelujah for that. There are people who live a miserable Christian life and go to heaven. That's better than living a miserable life and going to hell. Amen. It's way better than that. But it's not God's perfect plan. God's perfect plan is for us to grab hold of abundant life here and to have everlasting life in the paradise of God. That's God's plan. But that's a narrow road situation. 
It's not just something that automatically happens for everybody. It's something that we must fight for. And in fact, this is why God tells us to participate in various spiritual disciplines is so that we can grab hold of abundant life here. So are you physically going to reach your peak if you eat garbage and never exercise? No, it's not it just doesn't work that way. How about if you really, really pray and believe God to reach your physical peak while you eat garbage and don't exercise? You just pray and pray and you get you put it on the prayer chain and you get everybody going. And then when it's not happening, you cry, why God, why? Does that make any sense? No, you have to do some physical disciplines in order to reach your physical peak. And in order to reach your spiritual peak, you have to do some spiritual disciplines. And so this month of October, we're going to talk about different spiritual disciplines in our series, The Why Behind the What. Then in November, we're going to talk about uh, the fruits of the Spirit, a series we're calling When Hearts Collide, when God's heart collides with our heart and we feel the feelings of God, we apprehend the emotions of God, we have the fruits of the Spirit in our heart. That's November. And then December, we're going to do a series called uh, The Gifts That Keep On Giving about spiritual gifts and the empowerment of God for us to be able to serve Him in this world. So this month, we're talking about this week, prayer and fasting, next week, Sabbath rest, the week after that, tithes and offerings, and then personal personal devotional time to to finish up the month of October. These things we need to do, they're part of the spiritual disciplines that we need in order to train ourselves to be able to grab hold of the fullness of God's plan for our life so that we can have abundant life in Christ now. And here's the most important thing. If I'm on a sports team and I'm at my physical peak, Is that just selfish or am I going to be able to help my team way better? I'm going to be able to help my team way better. If I'm at a spiritual peak, I'm going to be able to be used by God and do more selfless things and be more effective for the kingdom of God. So we want to get to a place of spiritual strength. When we get there, it's not selfish. It's a place where we can serve much more effectively. So that's that's why we want to get there. One of the disciplines that I'm subjecting myself to is getting done on time. So I'm going to watch the clock real close, but we're doing pretty good. We'll see what happens in half an hour. All right. If spiritual disciplines are the way to abundant life in Christ, why do so many believers in Jesus have such trouble staying on track? Why is that? Well, they know what they're supposed to do. I know I should, but I know God wants me to, but well, I'm, I'm going to get around to some point, but how come people have such trouble staying on track? It's because they know the what, but they don't believe in the why. They don't believe in the difference that it'll make. This leads to a form of what, of doing different things that never actually grabs hold of the why. Now, if we understand why we need to pray and fast, if we understand why we need to give, if we understand what these spiritual disciplines are about, then we'll be much more motivated to grab hold of it. And I learned a lesson about teaching people why they're doing things and how come that's so important one time when I came across a bicycle accident. This was some years back, and I had had some experience being an EMT on an ambulance, so I, I pulled over, but I'm just a bystander, and there's this guy who's crashed his, his bicycle on a trail, and he had a fairly significant head injury. I mean, he was standing up, 
but, uh, and he's walking around and he's talking, but you could tell things weren't clicking in his head. And I don't remember what was going on exactly, but there was somewhere else I needed to go talk to some people. And there were some other people here that were around the guy who had the head injury. And I told one of the guys, I said, okay, you, you stand right here. And then I took off and I went over there. And the reason I had him stand there, which I didn't explain to him, was because that guy's probably going to fall over. And so I'm over here dealing with this other thing. And I'm watching the guy that I told to stand there just do this. Who is that guy? Why did you tell me this? this is weird? And so he started talking to somebody else. And as he kind of moved to the side and wasn't paying attention, then bloop over goes the guy, you know, and he falls to the ground and no one catches him. And I thought, oh, I should have, but I didn't think of it. Hey, stand here. Cause this guy's probably going to tip over, <laughs> you know, and then you catch him. It wouldn't have taken that long, but it didn't come to mind to say that. And that's the way so many of these spiritual disciplines are. You know, hey, go ahead and pray. Be a person who prays. All right, off to the next thing. Well, then if all we know is that we're supposed to, but we don't really understand why that is, we're going to be under-motivated and we'll probably pray wrong. This guy stood behind that other guy for a while. He did what I said until it didn't make any sense anymore. And he just thought, this is weird. And so then he stopped being diligent that way and, and the whole point was lost. It's the same thing with prayer and other spiritual disciplines, if we don't really understand why, we're not going to be able to reach for the goal of the whole thing in the first place. So that's the, uh, that's the introduction. Let's talk about prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. Now this October is the month that we planted Good Hope Church. We started on October 10th, 2010. So 10, 10, 10, which was very fun, easy to remember. And uh, so each October we do a month of prayer and fasting. And this October on the first, second, and third of October was our pastor's prayer and fasting retreat. So I was down in Alexandria at the beginning of last week uh, in our prayer and fasting retreat. It was a fantastic thing. And so how many people know that the Bible says you're supposed to pray? Anybody know that? All right, fantastic. Now, let's talk about why we're supposed to pray. Now, there's religious wise, and then there's true God thing wise. And I'm using the word religious in a negative sense. How many people have heard the word religious used in a negative sense? Raise your hand if you've heard that. Okay, because it's important, because religion is good. Amen? If what you're talking about is the things of God is religion, then religion is good. We want to be religious, but there's a secondary meaning. Some people use the word religious to mean the things that people do in church and in different denominations and organizations, but they're still doing it even though they're not focused on God anymore. Like for us, it might be where our worship time, our singing time is just more like a concert than it is like a prayer service. Now it's become religious. We're supposed to sing. We know we're supposed to sing, but we've forgotten why, and we're still doing it. We're just trying to be super entertaining, and that's religious. In other uh, ways that people do church, it might be super formal, and they do some ceremony, but they've forgotten about God, and they're just going through the motions. That's religious. And so there are some religious whys that we, we don't want to have our motivations be like that. The things that have, uh, you know, we're just going through the motions, but we've forgotten the God thing. We want to find the God things in it. And so some of the religious whys are things like, because I'm supposed to. 
Now, I appreciate people walking by faith, not by sight. If God tells you to do something, you should do it if you understand why or not. Amen? Be obedient. But that doesn't mean to stop trying to understand why and getting a deeper understanding of why you're doing it in the first place. So, because I'm supposed to is not a great reason. How many people are super motivated because they're supposed to eat their vegetables? Well, if it's not going to cause you to eat your vegetables, then it's not going to be very helpful. So that's not a good reason. How about because Pastor Mike said so? I'd love it if people just did what I said. That'd be fantastic. But that's not a good reason because what happens when I'm not there to say something? How about to impress people? Well, you know, I, I'm, I want to pray a lot. I'm going to sign up on the prayer and fasting thing, get my name on there more than anybody else, and then they'll see how spiritual I am. That's not a good why. How about to get God to do what I want him to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast so God will finally get on my side. He'll finally get on board with my plan. <laughs> it's not a good reason. So let's take a peek at a couple of scriptures. Ephesians 6.18, and then we'll go back to the Sermon on the Mount. So Ephesians 6.18 says this, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. So here, it's a very clear command. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Pray in the Spirit means pray while you're connected with God. Not just go through. I I learned one prayer when I was a kid. Come Lord Jesus, be our guest. Let these gifts to us be blessed. Amen. I didn't even know what the words were. They all jumbled together. And so I didn't, you know, and that's not praying in the spirit. Okay. (laughs) That's just saying something. Pray in the Spirit is a connection with God. We're praying. We're led by the Spirit as we're praying. This includes even deeper things of the Spirit. It says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Here when it says praying for all the saints, it means your brothers and sisters in Christ, the people who believe in God and believe in Jesus. Pray for everyone. This is what we're called to do. We're called to be people of prayer, to pray in the Spirit, and to be people who pray for each other. Now, why would God put this in the Bible? Let me ask this question. I've asked it before. Why does God make rules? Because he likes us and he's trying to help. That's why he makes rules, because we don't always see everything. We don't always understand everything. So God will tell us things and try to help us out. And so when we have faith in that, then we are obedient to it. Now let's go to Matthew chapter six. This is again in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking about prayer and he's talking about fasting. So let's read through this. Matthew six, starting in verse five. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. So these hypocrites are people who are in my position, who try to pray in order to get people to be super impressed with what they're doing. You know, like if I'm going to pray a real, a real prayer, you know, like we're going to start down here and we're going to come up here. And then we're going to get here. And then we're going to just bring down the house. And then I'm thinking, yeah, I'm going to really get these people. I'm going to work them up real good. And I'm going to move them. Well, who am I praying for then? What's the purpose? The purpose to impress people, to, to do something to people. I'm not trying to connect with God and move the hand of God. I'm trying to get people to think that I'm doing a good job. Well, that's a disaster. That's what these guys were doing. It's a hypocrisy. 
We're not to pray for the benefit of how other people perceive us. We're to pray to God, to connect with him. And then Jesus explains a good way to do it. Verse six, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, don't get legalistic and say, oh, never supposed to pray in a group. You can't pray in a church because there's more than one person there. Somebody will see you. Don't get legalistic that way. But the truth is that when you pray, it's about you and God. So no one needs to see it. No one needs to know that it's happening. You just go pray between you and God. If the only time you pray is when you're expected to by a group of people, then your prayer life is lacking something very important, and that is the connection with God. Let's keep reading. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Now, you want to pray through. You want to stick at it. You don't want to give up. But at the same time, God knows what you need ahead of time. So you're not going to wear them down. Like if I just pray a thousand times, I'll earn my healing. No, you can't earn your healing with how many times you pray. You just trust God. You walk in faith. Keep praying. But understand, you can't wear God down. He has a plan. And he already knows how he wants to bless you. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. And this is where Jesus lays out what they call the Lord's Prayer is in the Sermon on the Mount. He preached this to big masses of people. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast, so Jesus goes from teaching the masses about prayer to teaching the masses about fasting. And he makes the assumption that they're going to fast. When you fast, he doesn't even command them to fast. He just assumes they're going to. This is how significant a part of the culture it was and how much it's assumed in the New Testament that we will be people of prayer and fasting. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. So at the pastor's prayer and fasting time, everybody just acts normal. You know, nobody is walking around like, oh, oh, got a little faint there. In fact, I started fasting three days before we even came here, you know, because I'm, I'm just, oh, you know, don't do that because then your reward is, is you got to act like a fool in front of people. That's your reward from heaven is you got to act like that. And people got to look at you and go, oh yeah, that, that's great. Good for you. You know? We don't want that to be our reward. That's not abundant life. That's not the the power of God moving in our lives. That's just really, really unfortunate. And in verse 17, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, meaning like do your hair, take care of yourself so that you will, so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So Jesus is saying that we need to make sure that our prayer life and our fasting life are things that are between us and God, not things that are based on other people's expectations and trying to make other people happy. It's about us and God. So, short answer to why we fast and pray. Here's the sentence that you should pay attention to, and the rest of it all builds off of this. Why do we fast and pray? 
The reason is to stay connected with God. We fast and pray so that we can stay connected with God. That's the primary main reason we fast and pray. It's a very, very significant way that we abide in the vine and stay connected with God. We fast and pray to stay connected with God. Now, why do you have a phone? You probably have a phone. Do you have a phone? Because you're supposed to. Because people, you know, will look at you funny if you don't have a phone. Maybe the type of phone. (laughs) But we have phones to stay connected. We have phones so that we can get information and so we can give information. Prayer and fasting is basically a phone between you and God. It's our ability to connect with, to communicate with God, and to hear from God is prayer and fasting. Now, what is a life connected with God versus a life disconnected from God? You know, you can come to church and do all the stuff and never get Jesus on the main line. Remember that? you're old, you remember that song about Jesus on the main line. It's like calling Jesus on the phone. But our prayer life is like connecting with God. And so you can come to church and never go by yourself and meet with God. And you can live a religious life separate from God. And that's a disaster. You can live a life connected with God. That's the primary reason why we fast and pray. Here's some more reasons. We'll go a little bit deeper with this. Some whys. First, again, to hear from God for wisdom and direction. James 1.5 says this, If any one of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So we can ask God for wisdom. That's a prayer we can pray, and we can receive wisdom and direction from God. He's not going to blame us for not knowing what to do, but he's going to give us answers. So you can ask God about what to do with your family situation, with your work situation, with your school situation, with your uh, emotional health, with the difficulties that you're battling in your finances, You can ask God for wisdom in these areas and God will respond. Now, I'm thankful. I mean, the first prayer I prayed in my life when I was 19, God responded like that. So I know prayer moves the hand of God. There are so many people that have been praying for years and they've never seen anything. You know, if you've prayed and prayed and prayed and you haven't seen any tangible response from God, let me tell you, keep at it. Because God does move. God will give you wisdom and stay open. Stay open. Another reason that we pray is to gain power over the enemy. Do you know you have an enemy of your soul? There's forces of darkness in the spiritual realms that are trying to get you. (laughs) Not to get too scary, but the reality is, is they're nothing compared to Jesus. You know, it's not like we've got God here and the devil here, and we're trying to figure out who's going to win, like the, the, you know, the Philadelphia and Minnesota. We're not trying to figure out who's going to win. God wins. The devil is here. And so when we are attacked, we can have strength in Christ. Staying in James, James 4, 7 says this, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. How do you submit to God? Give him a call and let him know, hey man, I'm on your side now. I'm going with you. Please forgive me of my sins. I'm sorry that I've been walking the wrong direction. I want to walk with you now. Help me out. Show me how to go. And you can, you can give him a call. You can do a little prayer. Submit yourself to God. Then you can resist the devil and he will flee. Did you know that when you're in Christ, you can resist the devil and make him flee? 
Did you know when you're standing there by yourself, the devil is more powerful than you? You must submit to God first. Then you're standing in his power and you can resist the devil. It's a powerful, powerful thing. The next thing is to unleash the blessings of God. Why we pray. I think too many people start with the prayer of give me something. And one of the things that I've noticed, you know, is that so many times the breakthrough answer from God comes after we're obedient to God. That when God asks us to do something and then we're obedient to that, that's when the breakthrough happens. And that's why we need to be connected with God in the first place, because how can you be obedient to what God is telling you to do if you're not hearing from God? And so if you're not hearing from God, you don't know how to take that step of faith and then the breakthrough is not going to happen. Should tell a quick story about that. So many, many years ago, we were living in Bemidji. We had planted a church in Big Fork, 72 miles away. So I'm driving back and forth from Bemidji to Big Fork. And that wasn't super great. You know, a small town, you got to be part of the community to have any influence. You can't just be driving, hi, I'm here. You know, like they're like, they don't care. You know, <laughs> why should they? And so we knew we got we to move there. And so I'm praying, Lord, open up a place in Big Fork that we can move to that's affordable, that, that we can make this work. And distinctly in my spirit, not, not an audible voice, but just, you know, when you're knower, I've heard people describe it that way. That's kind of his, was put your house up for sale. So I said to the Lord, now, it's not that I don't need a place to live in Bemidji. It's that we do need a place to live in Big Fork. So just being out on the street in Bemidji isn't going to help. We need a place in Big Fork. And kept praying and just put your house up for sale. So the next day, I'm like, okay. So I put the house up for sale, got a full price offer on the first day. This was back in the good old days. Remember them? (laughs) And... We, uh, I went to work, which is about 40 miles from Big Fork, and somebody there was in a difficult situation, and they were going to lose their house, and I talked to them, they, they said, yeah, well, we have this farm in Big Fork, and I was like, really? And make a long story short, God gave us 40 acres of land in Big Fork for free, but it took me putting the house up for sale first, and then that same day, That happened. We'd been looking for over a year and we got 40 acres of free land, but the obedience happened first and then the breakthrough. If we don't pray and stay connected with God, we won't know how to walk in obedience and we won't see the breakthrough. We pray to unleash the blessings of God. John 14, 12 and 13, Jesus is speaking. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. So Jesus was healing people. He's bringing the truth of God to set people free. He's doing amazing miracles. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Do you believe that? That we can do greater things than Christ? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. We will at least do greater volume. Because now there are millions, even billions of Christians around the world that are praying for other people. And so there are miracles happening on every continent, all over the, all over the world, in every country. Because so many people are praying that the, the volume at the very least is greater. I don't know that we can do more impressive miracles than Christ. That seems ludicrous to me. But certainly there will be greater volume. Verse 13. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. So when we ask in Jesus' name, Jesus says he'll do whatever we ask. 
So I better talk about what in Jesus' name means. So you've heard me pray in Jesus' name at the end of a lot of the prayers that I pray. I'll say in Jesus' name. And what that means is that you are trying to be in line with God's plan. That you're saying, I think this is what God wants to have happen. I'm trying to line up with God. That's in Jesus' name. It's not the magic words at the end of a prayer that make God have to do it. There are none of those. We can't push God around. We can't manipulate God. He's way smarter than us. He sees through all of that stuff. What this is, is to say, I think this is what God wants. I'm endeavoring to pray in submission to God, God's plan, in His name. For example, if I call a store and I say, I want to order one of these and here's my credit card and I'm paying for it. And then I send somebody to go pick it up. They're going to pick it up in my name, but they can't go to any store and take whatever they want and just say, Hey, yeah, pastor Mike in pastor Mike's name. I want that Lamborghini. You know, it just doesn't work that way because I haven't paid for it. And it's the same thing in Jesus name means we're endeavoring to be in line with God's plan. So that's prayer fasting. Why do we fast? Because it takes everything to the next level. It's like prayer on steroids. Fasting is just a a big deal to get to that breakthrough. It allows you to hear and distinguish different voices. It's one of the most powerful things about fasting is you can tell the difference between your physical cravings and the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. You know, how many Christians have mixed up the different voices in their head and thought that a physical craving was the Holy Spirit telling them something. When you fast and you hear that voice that says, oh, don't worry about it. Just have a piece of pie. Is that the Holy Spirit? No, that's your body. It's your your physical cravings. And so then you can say, okay, that's what my physical cravings sound like. I'm, that's not God. So whenever I hear that, I'm not going to think it's God. And You can learn some of those different things. And that's very important because how many Christians mix up the voices in their head? I'm not talking about hearing audible voices, but you know what I mean? Like, I prayed and I just had peace about having pie. No, that's not God. That's just your your physical craving. So fasting helps us to hear and distinguish different voices. And then fasting deeply aligns us with God. When you fast, you're humbling yourself and you're letting a lot of things go. And instead of being in a place where you're trying to get God to do your will, you align yourself with God and you you seek his will. That's one of the biggest things about fasting and prayer is to find the way to align ourselves with God rather than trying to figure out how to align God with us. So when you fast... You're setting yourself aside. You're putting aside some of your comforts and the things that you like. And you're saying, Lord, I'm just going to let all that stuff go. And I want to know your will and walk with you and reveal your truth to me. And you can receive good things from God. I mentioned earlier that there are religious wise in that negative sense of religious versus the true God wise. And a lot of the religious wise are ways of trying to get God in a line with you rather than you getting in line with God. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 6, the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. This is the NIV, so it may be a little different than how you remember. But Matthew 6, 9 and 10, let's read these two verses 
and see how Jesus, a very important thing that Jesus talks about with regards to how we should pray. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So it starts with honoring God, calling God holy, setting ourselves in a right relationship with God. We're not whining to God. We're putting ourselves in submission to God. Lord, you are holy. You are mighty. We worship you. And then the next verse, verse 10. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So many times when we have an ineffective prayer life, it's because we're praying for our will to be done and for our kingdom to come. Not for God's kingdom to come and for God's will to be done. This is probably the main mistake that people make in prayer is they're trying to talk God into something. And the reality is, is that there are a variety of promises in the scripture that we can believe for, that our God's will for sure. And we want to grab hold of those, but we want to pray God's will be done. Because when we go to the Lord and we say, my will be done, my kingdom come, he's not obligated to make our will be done. But we want to get in line with him. Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher from years back, was a fantastic prayer warrior and a fantastic teacher on prayer. And he said, if you want to have an effective prayer life, find out what God's will is and pray that. Find out what God's will is and pray that. And here we see the difference between being a thermometer and being a thermostat. We talked about that again some weeks back, that as Christians, we're not called to just be able to tell the temperature, to understand the spiritual climate. We're also called to be able to change the temperature, to be able to change the spiritual climate, to be thermostats, not just thermometers. And here is what Jesus says. We are to pray for God's kingdom to come and for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Have you noticed that a lot of times on earth, God's will is not done? And there is a kingdom of darkness that is here doing damage to people rather than God's kingdom. God's will is done in heaven for sure. Here, it's a little of this and a little of that. There's a tremendous amount of darkness, a tremendous amount of evil here. God's will is not always done here. Jesus teaches us to pray for God's will to be done on earth. And he tells us to do that because it's possible. But then I want you to think of one thing, one thing, that you believe is God's will, but that is not happening right now in your world. It can be in your workplace, your family, in your own heart, whatever it is. Like you can think it's God's will for me to have joy, but I don't. It's God's will for me to be able to pay my mortgage payment, but I can't. Look for something that's God's will. And if you don't know God's will, you got to pray, you got to read the scriptures, find the promises and, and believe him for that. But I want you to find one thing that you can put your faith on that you can pray God's will be done here on earth. Find that one thing and then let's believe for it and pray for that each day and then you'll start to see the power of prayer because it moves the hand of God.